This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Well, folks, settling back in for a week here on the program as we kick off another visit with uh, you, all the good people out there, no matter where you're listening around the world. And, uh, of course, my co-host, Ramya Muthan, is here as we get the chance to settle back and, and bring you some great stuff from our contributors. Uh, and last week, I, I wasn't here, but it uh, sounds like a great week on the program, Rum. Hey, Kels. Yeah, it was a short week. It was really fun hanging out with Danielle McLaughlin. There were moments when Danielle was hanging out without me, but we made it through, and it was um, definitely a week full of amazing content. Our cut for time uh, with Matt and I on Friday was fantastic just because there was so much great stuff to go through. Yeah, it's sometimes we can settle back, folks, and we look back at the week and say, wow, what am I choosing for Cut for Time? What, yeah. How many things have been said on the show that I want to add to? And uh, Cut for Time is a, is a wonderful piece for us to do that. A big thank you to Margaret filling in for Bill and Jeff last week. Also, of course, to Danielle McLaughlin and having that uh, special time Thursday where the panic was, was there, the anxiousness of, I've never hosted before. And uh, mm-hmm. Danielle, uh, we appreciate all the extra effort, all the stress and you know, probably the drink or two you had afterward, and I'm, I'm sure Matt shared one, too, and Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> but, folks, we're here to start another week on the program. Lots ahead, so let's kick off another brand-new Kelly & Company week. Here's what's coming up today on the show. Neutral Zone, he, of course, will be here for the regular Monday sports update. And because it's a Monday, we're checking in with our friends from AMI-TV about an upcoming AMI This Week feature, A Seat at the Table. We're talking about this one with Alex Smythe from Toronto. Roy Halliday Field became Toronto's first fully accessible baseball diamond last month. We learn more about what went into making this special field with Jay's Care Executive Director, Robert Mitchell, in a little while. We'll do that conversation in Hour 2 right here on Kelly & Company. from Cumberland, Ontario. This message is from the Cheryl Kelly and Company. Uh, hey, uh, Margaret and Danielle, um, you can play this message on the air tomorrow, but uh, I just wanted to tell you, Days of Our Lives is leaving uh, cable TV as of um, September, I think it's September 12th. They are leaving the NBC network after 57 years of um, broadcasting. They're moving to the Peacock Network, so digital digital format only. I um, think you can get it if you get Ignite TV. I think you can get it. There's something called Com, Comway uh, that you can get. That's supposed to be like Rogers, supposed to have the same things, but at a cheaper price. Uh, I think. The the maximum package I think is one hundred and thirty dollars. Uh, I'm paying one hundred and forty five twenty three to Rogers, and I've got the high end of cable. So, but uh, pass that on to your uh, soap fans that uh, days will no longer be on cable TV. The only things that are going to be on cable TV is Bold and Bold and the Beautiful, 
General Hospital and, and uh, Young and Restless are the only soaps you're going to be able to watch on cable. Okay, so like I said, please us on the air and comment on it. Okay, bye. Well, I hope, Jackie, you don't mind if we comment on it. Uh, this message came in last week when uh, Margaret and Danielle were on the program. And I don't know. I think the gang over at YNR, at least uh, Victor Newman, would probably say, that's just too damn bad. And no more of that NBC crap. But the fact is, you know, Rum, I've been watching, well, I had been watching soaps. I really don't watch even my Coronation Street anymore. I don't watch Days anymore. But that was the soap since I was a teenager. I, I had watched. And the day I knew was coming that we're going to see these leave. We're going to see the venues online, especially as stuff started to become more available online and, and people gravitating to that. So I, I guess, not surprised, but when you talk about 50-plus years and things like that for, for programs uh, being available to people every day on cable TV, mm-hmm. it just seems odd. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And like you said, we all kind of, with our favorite shows, especially if you already know they're in syndication and uh, even if that's not the case really um you hold on and you hold on but you know in the back of your mind there is comes a day where it's going to be taken off um so soap operas and sitcoms are the two categories that i can think of where people really do hold on i remember when they took friends off um not even off cable tv but off netflix you know it was a big deal for so many people right because we're like no this is our background show. So I think even in the streaming service world, we're always kind of uh, hoping that somebody will pick it up and keep it. Uh, But cable TV, a lot of people are still, you know, waiting on midday television or primetime television or just repeats of things, uh, re-airings to to relive and nostalgia. Yeah. I really wonder what shows, if people, maybe this is a roundtable discussion, what shows people would have 20 years ago guessed if they knew about what could, the power of this internet and what could happen. Right. I wonder yeah. if it would have been game shows, soap operas, talk shows, what it might have been. Uh, a couple of food recalls, folks. Byzantine Fine Foods uh, gourmet brand lasagna products have been recalled due to undeclared egg. And Organic Traditions brand dark chocolate nut products that the, they've been declared due to possible undeclared milk, cashew milk, uh, almond or hazelnut. So if you use them, you may want to check it out. Got a couple of things I want to try to throw in here, folks. The American Kennel Club is warning pet owners to be on the war- alert Excuse me, uh, because there's been a rise in dog thefts across the U.S. Robberies are up 40% from last year. Will Reeves, reporter, says it can happen anywhere at any time. It's not just Lady Gaga's pups. This past month, a litter of French bulldog puppies stolen from a home on Long Island. Another Frenchie almost taken from a lobby in New York City. And a Maltese mix swiped from a Palm Beach pet store. Tom Sharp is the head of AKC Reunite, the largest nonprofit that tracks lost and stolen pets using microchips. Just this past month, they've received over 100 reports of missing pets from nearly 40 states. The breed most targeted are French Bulldogs. That's what the thieves go after, which can cost more than $5,000. So unbelievable. Now, I want to switch to snakes, folks. More than 800,000 competitors are trudging through the Florida Everglades in search of of invasive Burmese pythons. Now, the python hunt that will bring in thousands of dollars in prize money officially began Saturday morning and runs through 5 p.m. local time on August 15th. Now, Florida First Lady 
Casey DeSantis says she'll be out there hunting too. So I'm excited to go out, hunt up some pythons, literally, hope to catch a python, not going to be using my hands, may touch a stick. I won't be using my hands either because I won't be there. Cash prizes of up over $2,500 are available in both the professional and novice categories for those who remove the most pythons. Novice category? (laughs) I don't even know what to say about this. A professional, maybe, but would you go out there as a not? I don't know what I'm looking for. I'm just going to stomp around out here till I find it. The python's going to find me is what's going to happen. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, we'll step aside and uh, certainly not go looking for pythons. Michael Babcock, he's here to share tips for improving the experience of distinguishing dialogue on TV. We'll talk to him in a moment. A snake. Settle on back as we jump into another edition of Kelly and Company right here on AMI-audio. If you want to give us a call, 1-866-509-4545, like Jackie did, leave us a message, let us know. Guys, uh, this is for Kelly and Company as she walked you through that. And then deliver your message. If you're not interested in us playing it on the air, we need your permission to do that. We won't, obviously, play it on the air. 1-866-509-4545. Again, is that number. Feedback at AMI.ca. If you want to send a message asking anything about AMI-tele, AMI-TV or AMI-audio, Feedback at AMI.ca, the best way to do it. The gang over there in marketing communications, they'll handle it and get back to you. And on Twitter, we are at AMI-audio. Again, that handle, at AMI-audio, where you can follow along with what's happening and coming up on the programs and interact with AMI-audio. Kelly McDonald here, host of the program with my co-host, Ramya Muthan. We're going to get into a tech talk with Michael Babcock as we do every Monday on the show, so let's bring him on. It's time for Talking Tech with Michael, bringing you a shot of technology news to get your week going with sprinkles of assistive technology. Michael, I, I'm i curious about this first thing that we're going to start with, uh, something that maybe not all of us consider, but audio on television. It can be pretty difficult to deal with, uh, to hear, for some people to hear, for some people to distinguish, actually, like especially with dialogue in some situations. So do you have any tips for improving the experience for distinguishing dialogue on television? I do. And when I first seen this a couple of weeks ago, and I've I've wanted to get to it, but of course, we always talk a little too much, and sometimes we don't get to it. Um, it, it really intrigued me because like you mentioned in the opener, I don't often think about this because unless my wife's talking, I have no problem with hearing. And so I realized that this is an important factor for people who need access to or who want access to TV. And there are a couple of considerations to take into fact. Uh, First of all, being the fact that you can adjust your settings on your TV, which means that you're able one of the things that you want to go in and do is locate the sound options on your TV. This is in the menu and make a, a adjustment. It's a feature called 
dynamic range compression, also known as night mode. If you are a Sonos user, you might be familiar with night mode. And what this will do is it will compress the audio and evens out that those levels so that your loud noises and explosions are similar to the same size or, or same level as the dialogue. So you don't have to keep turning your TV up and down, especially if you have a problem with listening to dialogue and then the explosions waking people up. That's what they created night mode for, so you don't interrupt other people sleeping as well. Uh, you can also locate the sounds option if for some reason this doesn't fix the audio or make it easier for you to hear. And I forget about this all the time, but in TVs, there's also the EQ or equalization function that you can use and try to increase the uh, lower end bass noises or decrease trouble or increase whatever you need to do to be able to make TV hearable from you. Uh, there's two more ways that you can look into fixing uh, audio on your TV to be able to hear it better. That is using a pair of wireless headphones. And if your TV doesn't have that ability, there are Bluetooth transmitters you can connect to the back of your TV that will allow you to use Bluetooth headphones with your TV and be able to hear your audio, especially if you want to hear it at a different level than other people watching the same show wants to hear it as. They do also make TV headphones that you can plug into your TV and uh, go ahead and use those if you want to. I would prefer the wireless function myself. Otherwise, someone would trip over the cable. And then the last one, my favorite one, uh, this could be a reason to go purchase a sound bar to increase the sound of your TV. As we know, the visuals in TV have increased substantially over the last couple of years. However, the audio still can be questionable. I have a couple of TVs here at the house, and none of them do I really want, except for the one in my bedroom, do I really want to listen to without connecting a sound bar. So you can go get decent sound bars for between 250 and up uh, I don't recommend going too cheap because that may just enhance the horrible experience you're having with the audio so that's a few ways to improve the audio on your TV if you need it big soundbar fan of course but uh, also because if you're in certain circumstances soundbars allow you to keep your your sound lower as much as they give you uh -huh. much more spectrum you're not as as likely to be cranking up audio coming out of the poor sound of the TV to try to compensate and you get the real feel of all that work that's put into to creating great soundscape and one thing I want to mention with the soundbar and Kelly you may have observed this because I believe if I remember right you have one of the sono soundbars is that right mm -hmm. yes one Okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll just stick with one. We'll stick so, with that. <laughs> but but for me, I I always consider. I said, how can I get good sound out of just a bar of speakers? It it, it can't increase the sound that much, and and it is a substantial improvement when you just put a bar under your TV that has audio coming from it. Technology for speakers has come a long ways. Yeah, and I think if you can see enough, if you're a person with enough vision or fully sighted, who somebody who can see might think, well, you know, I'm I'm more reliant on I want that better picture and that. But what that sound enhances and allows you to imagine and mm -hmm. put you right there, it's just phenomenal. It's, to me, the way to spend. But uh, then again, you may probably never spend money on movies going to the theater again. <laughs> um, RIM is in public beta, and you've had a chance to play with it. Remind us first, what is RIM? Yeah, so RIM 
is RIM, and it stands for Remote Incident Manager, made by NUMA Solutions. And it's been around for about 14, 15 years. But it's been targeted primarily at the enterprise market. So it's been out of the general consumer's reach because the pricing has been in my opinion, outrageous because I don't have that much money coming in. Uh, however, they have made a alteration to the rim pricing, etc. Um, it allows you to control remote computers, even uh, computers that you may not have ever used in the past. And it, it, it works on Windows. Hopefully there will be Mac support in the near future. Right. And why is this so impressive? So we, when I used to work for the company uh, that owned the radio stations in our local area, everyone would use remote desktop to be able to manage the studio computer, even if we were doing, mainly when we were doing remotes, or we would use paid team viewer. And that's all good, except for if the studio computer didn't have a screen reader on it, there really wasn't a way for me to handle uh, being able to access it. In addition, if JAWS was on the computer, someone would have to go and connect JAWS by entering the code that I generate. So RIM does a couple of things that, that impresses me. First of all, even if your computer doesn't have a screen reader, so if I was to remote into that studio computer, because there's not a screen reader on that computer, I can still control it. This opens up drastic job opportunities for someone who wants to go into IT or for someone who wants to be a support agent or as in the instance since I was talking about someone who is a production assistant who needs to be able to control the on-air computers uh, in that environment. And it also allows you as a blind user to be on the same playing field as your mm. sighted colleagues because no one has to know that you're using a screen reader so you can support both sighted and visually impaired customers. So how has your experience been using it? So it is in beta. I do want to preface it with that. Uh, my experience, I've used it to control both a computer locally on my local network and I controlled someone else's computer remotely. And both instances were great. Now, uh, the remote computer that I controlled, she was using JAWS. There was a little echo issue, but I believe they've resolved that in one of the latest updates. And then my local computer is the one that the boys game on. And so there isn't any screen readers except for narrator. And so I use narrator get connected to get connected to the rim system. And it was a pretty straightforward process. One thing to be aware of with rim is you don't have to enter these long convoluted codes. I set up my Twitter handle as the code that I use. And so whenever someone wants to, whenever I want to connect to someone else's computer, I just tell them, Hey, enter this word, which I, again, I use my Twitter handle because most people won't be using it. Although now they might. And uh, once they dig once they enter that code then i am connected to their computer and that word is reset to the uh, pool of people being able to use so you could even use something as short as one letter for someone who might have dexterity issues and can only press you know the letter z for example uh then you use the letter z and uh you're connected and ready to go so it's a very straightforward and simple process to get going and it seems like the troubleshooting side of it or, you know, updating as we go uh, is still happening. Do you know anything about pricing? 
Yeah, so the pricing, they're going to start charging in September. These are all U.S. prices. The pricing starts at $9.99 a month for one user. You can bill annually if you want. They have a uh, a three-computer plan, so you can control up to three computers for $25. And then the pricing goes up from there uh, for business or enterprise customers as well. Okay. Let's move over to TikTok, sir, where they have made some accessibility improvements um, how have they made the platform more inclusive? They have added captions for both users and creators. Creators have had the opportunity to create uh, captions for their videos for a little while now, but now users can enable those captions as well, even if the creator hasn't because they're automatically created. And they've also enabled translation. Um, so with TikTok does say that they're going to continue to invest into uh, being able to support their diverse community. And they say that there are plans to expand the availability to these features over the next couple of months to more users. Very good. There's still some unlabeled stuff on TikTok, so they should probably look yes. into that as well. <laughs> and, and focus issues with voiceover. Yeah, exactly. No, for real. Um, so Twitter, moving on, is also adding or has also added accessibility feature. What is it? They have added a new feature to add image descriptions, and it's it's reminding you, hey, you've added an image there. You should probably put a description with this to include Excellent. all users. Awesome. That's great. Okay. So a problem does exist with the feature. What has Twitter done wrong here, and how should uh, they improve that tool? Yeah, it is great, except it's turned off by default. So. Oh. <laughs> Seriously? So how did that's, well... that's, that's why I paused to not comment yeah. on you guys' comments. Yeah. Uh, so it's not on by default. And I think just like other individuals who've, who've observed this, you know, make it on by default. Remind people when they add an image, hey, you should add a description to this. Because as we all know, it's been available for a while now. Yeah. Uh, but now that they have the reminder, why is that reminder not on right. by default? default it's just <laughs> ironic and ridiculous that you'd put the reminder in but you're turning the reminder off by default don't want to bother anyone right <laughs> right <laughs> anyways um okay we just have a couple minutes left the freedom scientific team uh the training team has shared august training events what and when are some of these events yeah, so a lot of these are related to back to school because, believe it or not, we're in the back to school season. Uh, hard mm -hmm. for me to believe. My son goes home Wednesday. So tomorrow on Clubhouse, they're doing Ash Sharky School Supply Shopping on Walmart's website. Uh, so that'll be on Clubhouse. And they typically do Clubhouse Ash Sharky events, which are for both beginners and advanced users. On Thursday, there's an ACB community call talking about five ways to troubleshoot JAWS. And then next Tuesday, there's what is focus assist and why do you need to use it in windows um and so yeah that's the next couple of events coming up okay so how can we get a list of all these events well i hope the link will be in the kelly and co blog but you can also go to freedom scientific's training site and get access to the events that are coming up for the month of august it's in a very easy to read table that'll tell you where you can go when it is and what will be discussed sounds awesome michael thank you so much no problem you guys have a great rest of your show
Thank you. Looking forward to TikTok and Twitter taking in our absolute specific feedback on the accessibility. Well, we know they're listening in. Yeah, right? obviously. That's of why course. we're so specific. <laughs> oh, exactly. Well, just to give them that hand, right? We right. don't want them to. They might be know, wondering, can, how do blind yeah, people feel about this? Well, that's it. They can't think up everything. There's no. so much to do, so we certainly don't mind being yeah. that resource. For sure, for sure. But anyways, you know, it's great of Michael Babcock to keep us posted all the time as he does on Mondays with our Tech Talks. Back to school as well. Wow. I used to get such anxiety. Anyway, I better stop or I'll get anxiety and forget to mention, coming up next, Brock Richardson of the Neutral Zone. He arrives to bring us our weekly sports update. Stand by. We'll talk to him in a little over two minutes. Welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. It's your Monday edition of Kelly and Company. Remember, we are uh, available following the live show at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, where you can check out the repeat. And on the weekends, you can also check out the best of Kelly and Company. Um, Kelly McDonald here, co-host with Ramya Abmuthan. And we welcome in to talk sports, as we like to do on Monday, to kind of get the week going. Okay, I like to welcome in Brock Richardson always to talk sports. Rumya just likes to welcome him in. So let's bring him in to chat sports. He's the host and producer of The Neutral Zone. As a former athlete, I eat, sleep, and breathe everything sports. I'm Brock Richardson. Join me every Monday for your weekly sports highlights and our take on the weekend action. Wow, bundle of stuff here from this guy to us, ladies and gentlemen. Brock, where are we starting? Well, let's start with your leadoff stuff. Yes, there's always, it's funny because we always talk about this time of year as like, what do you talk about? And then everything happens, it seems like in the summertime, so pretty fun. Uh, This one's not a fun story that we're leading off on, but one that I think is necessary. The chair of Hockey Canada's board of directors is stepping down from his position immediately. Michelle McQuaid gives us more in Canadian press. Hockey Canada says Michael Brindamore informed the board of his decision on Friday evening. His move comes as the organization faces intense scrutiny for its handling of sexual assault allegations and a perceived culture of silence. Brindamore issued a statement saying he has listened carefully to Canadians and believes, quote, immediate action is necessary to address challenges facing both Hockey Canada and the sport itself. Hockey Canada says the board will meet in the coming days to appoint an interim chair and determine next steps. Michelle McQuig the Canadian press. I will say that I don't believe this is where this is going to end. I, you know, there's a lot of people talking about Scott Smith. Some will say, give him the opportunity. Others say he needs to go as well. And I think for this to be done appropriately and one that if you're going to wish your fans back and, you know, earn some trust, you need to get rid of from top down. And so Unfortunately, Scott Smith is the next in line who took over for Tom Rennie in July. But also, let's not forget that he's been part of the organization for a long time and he's just kind of in the chair from there. But I don't think this is where this story ends. I think that you're going to see more people do it. And I think you want to do it the right way, guys, as as alluded in the clip. He did it on his own. He said, I'm hearing, you know, from Canadians and I think others others need to follow suit there. Rocky, um, legendary broadcaster 
Vince Scully recently passed away, and you have some pretty cool stats to share uh, at the moment? Yes, I do. So let's run through them. He called uh, three perfect games, 25 World Series games, 20 no-hitters, uh, 12 All-Star games, and he also called Hank A- Hank Aaron's 715th home run. He will be synonymous for the phrase, it's time for Dodgers baseball. Listen, I, if you're looking at a broadcaster as a whole, uh, Vin Scully is the guy, and he's just a wonderful human being from all accounts. And he started as a very young uh, boy, and the uh, broadcaster that um, he ended up being the successor for brought him in for one inning, which turned into two, which turned into multiple uh, multiple times a week. And this is all over a 67-year career. So uh, Vin Scully is done it all at every level, and he will certainly be missed. He passed at the age of 94. Do you, uh, do you remember him doing football? No. I mean, for me, it's And I don't know baseball. what year it was, right? It might have been long before, like, what, years? It may have been, you know, long before kind of you were into that. I feel like I've heard him, but I couldn't sit here for a moment and tell you, you know, what teams. Was it all West Coast? Uh, just, it's just pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and even him doing the games when you think that he was doing the Dodger games back at uh, Ebbets Field in Brooklyn before the L.A. Dodgers existed as a team. Like, it's it's pretty amazing uh, to have that kind of history and to know yourself and still be out there. And, wow, um, again, a real loss in the baseball world really tried to honor and will, I'm sure, down the road be even doing more um, because he's just what a presence and, and what a what a supporter. And I heard a lot of people talk about the time he would give broadcasters. You know, one broadcaster mentioned uh, they did an interview with him. They got back and said, oh, my gosh, my my recorder screwed up. Had to call him. Right. And he said, well, you know, call me up tomorrow. We'll do it again. <laughs> you know, and that kind of thing. And then spent another hour talking to them. So just amazing. Uh, WNBA player. Jeff Sydney. just mentioned that he did football from 75 to 82. So there you Thanks, go. Thanks, Jeffy. That's awesome. That's... For, for, uh, for who, Jeff, did it say? NBC or who? Oh, okay. Oh, wow. That's even more <laughs> prestigious. Put him at the top with the Super Bowl. That's There you go. Yeah. That, Talk about all your just... experience. I guess you can do a Super Bowl, right? Uh, Brittany Griner, WNBA player, is in some trouble uh, in Russia. What can you tell us about this? Okay, so let's start from the sort of beginning of this. And let's talk about, first of all, why she was in Russia. Because a lot of people are wondering this. And the answer to the question is that she uh, plays for the Russian uh, Premier League uh, during the off season. She was caught with possession of marijuana uh, par- um, paraphernalia. And she, in her luggage, and she claims that she knew it was there, but she forgot about it. And there was a lot of things missing in the translation of what was being said to her and what was being communicated in in Russia. So, um, again, forgetfulness is not excusable in the law, of course. Um, most Russian uh, individuals who live there would get about five years in this case, uh, whereas she is getting nine. 
a lot of people are saying that she this is politically driven and we could be in a high stakes situation where we're looking at swapping uh one individual for another as there's some russians that are held in the states and they're looking to do kind of a swap there as well the lawyers claim that there is nothing of the sort going on but i don't know if i believe that because joe biden and the u.s are really strongly talking about this so lots of craziness going on in the world right now but there's lots of uh, free britney going on and uh, i hope that everything gets solved appropriately and quickly thank you sir Let's chat about the Toronto Blue Jays. What grade, we'll start there, would you give them for the trade deadline, and what have you liked since then? Uh, yes, so the grade I would give them, I would say that it's probably a satisfactory. Uh, I really like um, May, uh, Maryfield coming over. My dragon just woke up. Give me one second. Go to sleep. And yes, I love Tommy that. Already been asleep. She's been asleep since <laughs> last question. I I absolutely love that uh, acquisition uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays. It just adds some depth into their lineup. It it really lengthens it. And when you have an injury to George Springer, as they do, it's it's kind of they need that uh, pitching. They added some depth there as well. Uh, when we have injuries there, as we do, we need depth in pitching. Neither of the pitchers are, you know, big names or anything, but very happy with what we've seen. We kind of saw a blip over the weekend there as well. Uh, but we'll see how things go. Let's talk about the crazy play that took place at home plate on the weekend where their catcher... Um, stopped the Toronto Blue Jays from getting into home plate. Now, I had one train of thought in the beginning where it was like, eh, yeah, I can sort of see the rule. But then I saw another one where it, it kind of brought some light to me. So basically, the catcher is allowed to block the plate as long as the pitch or the throw is going into the line of the plate. In this case, what I see is that the left fielder threw and the catcher was already in the line of the plate. So he didn't come to the line based on the pitch being thrown. He came to the line already set up, which is where we saw that the Blue Jays ended up scoring a run. But it was certainly controversial. Was it ever? A lot of people upset. Um, because he set up in the lane that that the the runner was coming down to home plate, and uh, and in the past, since this 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 rule has been invoked, since the horrible injuries to the uh, Giants uh, catcher years ago, that really Buster Posey that really caused this to be called upon. Um, he was really messed up because old baseball. You took the runner out, right? Whether you're at second base or at home plate, was that was part of the fun. Blow out that catcher, you know, receiving. But too many people got hurt. 
seriously hurt and it it just it took so much to say look we're not we're not doing that so yeah it was interesting and it was a lot upset because my first thought too is no no guys he's out the ball was there long before he got there well not long before because Merrifield's pretty fast um, but uh, an interesting twist, Brock, when you talk about it, a lot of upset and anger. Brock, how did you feel White did uh, in his first uh, pitching outing on Saturday for the Jays? Yes, uh, I honestly, I thought that uh, Mitch White, I think that there's more to Mitch White than we saw. I, he struggled, obviously, clearly. Um, he's not a Noah Syndergaard. He, he is going to get more opportunity obviously with stripling being on the injured list at the moment i didn't like what i saw on the weekend i was kind of hoping you know for a bit better i do see uh way more potential than that but again when you go from one team uh to another it it can be a challenge and it's hard to just kind of go from one situation in this case la and just kind of be thrown into Toronto and say, okay, go ahead. You know, when we hear names like Noah Syndergaard, we kind of go, oh, that's a flashy response. And that's the guy that, you know, we should get. But but when you kind of get all these pieces put together, this can make for a good team. The problem this weekend wasn't so much pitching as it was not hitting yet again with runners in scoring position. There's just so many times where it's like, Guys, you left the bases loaded and you couldn't knock in a run. Pitchers and defense can't really help you with that. You got to help yourself and you got to sacrifice and do things like that. You can't rely on the other team making mistakes as we saw a couple of series ago in Boston. Those kind of series are not going to happen regularly. And I'm okay with them splitting two uh, this weekend, but you must take care of Baltimore at least getting two out of three, because even though Baltimore is playing well, you, you 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 are better than they are, and you need to show it. And I believe that the Blue Jays need to do that, and by doing that, they need to get two out of three. Uh, Brock, really quickly before you go, what are you looking forward to with the under-20 World Junior uh, ch- Hockey Championships? This is a a really, really good event. I love watching it. It gets going uh, tomorrow. Canada should be a really stacked team. Again, we're missing Shane Wright, but there's lots of, lots of good talent on this this team. I am a bit worried about the goaltending in Brett Brochu. Brochu, as I've seen him play in London, it can be a little shaky, but I think overall it's a pretty well-balanced team. Awesome. Looking forward to hopefully lots of people are able to take it in August hockey. Well, I don't know what you say about that. We hear about the dog days of, uh, of baseball, but now you got the uh, supposedly hot, hot hockey days, Brock. Enjoy it. I will. Thank you. Brock Richin hits us with the latest sports updates. We do this on our Monday edition of Kelly and Company. Plus, enjoy the Neutral Zone on Fridays at 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. You may want to tune in this week. They've got a, a particular announcement they're teasing people about, so you do want to check that out. That starts at 4 p.m. Eastern right here on AMI-audio, also available as a podcast. Up next... We discussed the upcoming AMI This Week featured A Seat at the Table with uh, Toronto TV reporter Alex Smythe next on Kelly and Company.
Remember to take some time and subscribe to the Kelly and Company podcast available using your favorite podcast platform. Simply do a search for Kelly and Company AMI Audio. There's a whole bunch of stuff there you might want to subscribe to. But if you would, take care of business. Take care of Kelly and Company. Make sure that you can get any of our shows when they're available when we do the posting. You can listen to the show in segment form. You can listen to the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience available to you with an audio vanity card tossed onto the end. That's the Kelly and Company podcast available via your favorite podcatcher. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. Well, let's check in with our friends from AMI-tv and find out about an upcoming AMI This Week feature. That is actually tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. It's called A Seat at the Table, and we're going to learn more about it with Toronto reporter Alex Smythe. Alex, thanks for coming on, Kelly and company. How are you? Oh, thank you guys for having me back. It's always good to be here. I'm doing good. Awesome. Good start to the week. Yeah, it has been a pretty good start to the week, and today actually is not... um, super sunny so most of us are pretty good with that so alex let's talk about a seat at the table um what is this initiative yeah so a seat in the table uh is set up by the canadian foundation for physically disabled people with a goal of improving representation for canadians with disability at the board level in in the corporate uh world so um, it, in essence, it is like an employment program, but uh, instead of kind of getting people initially into the workforce, this is one that's targeting the top level of Canadian companies. And so um, this was all kind of um, spearheaded by uh, the founder of the CFPDP, uh, the Honorable Bim Kochar. And um, when I spoke with him, he said, basically, currently in Canada, there are about seven or eight board members who identify as having a disability. So this is something that's, you know, there's there's a long road and long path to go with, with this. But um, if we can improve uh, representation at that top level, uh, his hope is that it can uh, really uh, improve representation throughout the companies overall. And it's a... You know, a lot of people due to experience out there or lack of, it's hard to get those persons sitting at the table um, because of that. Well, how come there's not enough of these execs out there, these people in these positions? And of course, a lot of us in the disability community want to see that for, well, that'll help make it level the playing field because it makes it so there are people in the, the positions of change or can bring about change, Alex. Yeah, absolutely. And and one thing that uh, was always talked about is like, well, especially when it came to board level positions, right? Like it was always the old uh, boys club. And, yeah. and usually the way they went about finding people to join the boards is it would be at uh, like golf clubs and, and country suites and things like that. So it, it was people were insulating themselves with other people from their social groups. So unfortunately, it, it really um, limited the ex- the experience or or the life experience of, of people on the board level is a lot of very wealthy uh, white middle aged or older men, and so uh, there there's definitely has been a push to improve disability representation, uh, um, uh, gender representation, racial representation, and and more diversity in all aspects. And so, uh, unfortunately, disability usually is the kind of the mm-hmm. one that lags behind. So now. Yeah. Uh, at least with this this initiative, they're trying to put it on par with the of other types of uh, diversity and uh, voices and experience. So, how does the initiative work? Yeah, so it really works by um, the 
the CFPDP uh, reached out to a number of different companies, employers, uh, disability organizations. They really wanted to, to get the message out there from people from the community that, hey, if you identify having a disability and this is something that is of interest to you, send us your resume, send us your applications. And then they. Uh, what happens is once they receive an application, they have a uh, a screening process that they go through and they have a, a, um, a panel of uh, business leaders from across the country and, and really high achieving uh, people in business and, and things like that. And so they will go through, uh, see what applicants meet the requirements, not only for being a member of the community, but also uh, being qualified for some of these different board positions. And they will do their own pre-betting process. And if they find, okay, you know what? We know this organization is looking for a board member. We have this this candidate here who ticks all the boxes for it, but maybe they they don't get a uh, a shot, or maybe their their application isn't viewed for whatever reason. So then they will take the application of the pre-vetted candidate and send it over to the the company and say, hey, you, we we checked this guy out or this girl out. They they have really strong qualifications. You should take a look at them, and I think they would make a uh, a great addition to your board. And so that's really, first they they filter through the uh, applicants, but then they also serve as advocates and uh, uh, kind of a vocal uh, support group for, for candidates when they're going into that application process. Wow, that's kind of gutsy in the way that they do it, but you've got the right people with the right experience who have the light, right language, shall I say, to speak to mm-hmm. these potential businesses. Absolutely. And, and, uh, so uh, the, one of the uh, people we, we profiled in our, our piece, um, uh, Garapadia, he's act, uh, he recently became a board member on Amex Bank of Canada. So I'd like that gives a bit of a, a sense of the the type of organizations are really trying to target. And so we spoke with Garoff, we spoke with also the uh, president and CEO of Amex Bank of Canada, uh, Lisa. And so it's just hearing those voices and that they're, there is a willingness and, and there is an intention by some of these organizations now that they recognize the importance of having diverse experiences, background voices at that board level that it can really help shape the direction of the companies going forward. So there's buy-in from, from companies now. There is advocacy from uh, groups like the uh, Canadian Foundation for Physically Disabled People. And there is more... Uh, business uh, leaders who are open to sharing and disclosing their disability and their experience living with a disability, because all three things are very different, but they all need to come together for for an initiative like this to work and to achieve that goal of improving representation. Yeah, and it is the approach is very uh, different than other employment programs that you know I've been aware of or that we've talked about, uh, but. It's not new to have the the support of people and initiatives wanting to help people with disabilities get in the work, um, get into work or uh, the employment market, you know, and really expose the talent pool, right? But can you continue to tell us why this one's pretty important and different in its approach? Yeah, uh, well, for speaking from my experience and, and knowledge of of profiling different, um, you know, work placements, employment programs for the disability community. Oftentimes they are targeting and working towards getting 
members from the community into the workforce as a, a first job or, or entry level position to really let them establish themselves in, in the workforce and in the job, uh, job market so they can build up that experience. But there was never really anything that I came across anyways that was really looking to target uh, growth and development once people are in the, the workforce. There was nothing to help lift up people and, and have them go and elevate in through their companies or their organizations. Where And that's where this one is a bit different. It's, it's not focused on people getting into the market. It's getting qualified candidates who have been in the market in, in the job and work uh, force for many years who are highly qualified, highly skilled, highly educated, but getting them into these top level decision-making positions that really have a true impact on an organization's direction, focus, vision going forward, because they believe that if you can start at the top, you get those voices in that room and uh, have a seat at that table, hence the name, that it, it can lead to much greater change and, and a lot quicker change than if you're just trying to do it from the bottom up. Because mm -hmm. the understanding that these people have brings so much potential change or the open-mindedness to different perspectives. And I think we're simply talking a lot about job advancement, moving along, but so many people get into the field of work, we're either happy to be in there or the means isn't there because it, you end up being kind of in a, a trapped space. So is it a thumbs up, Alex, as far as you're concerned of what you think of this program? Yeah, absolutely. I, I when I first heard about this, like, okay, no, this is this makes sense to me. This is great. This is something new. They're taking a different approach to trying to solve uh, the employment issue for people with disabilities. Uh, it's something that you know, I I count myself very fortunate uh, that I've never felt like I've struggled in gaining employment uh, living with disabilities. I I've been able to. Um, manage my myself within workplaces, but I know for many people that that wasn't an option. There there were other hurdles and challenges that they needed accommodation, and on, oftentimes there wouldn't be the openness, of flexibility, or or knowledge to how to properly accommodate people. So having an organization that is going to try to tackle things from the top down, that you can have meaningful um, decision making and input and representation and vocal representation at a top level of an organization, I, I think is huge. But I also think that, um, as I mentioned earlier, there's only like seven or eight board members who identify as having a disability in Canada. Like mm -hmm. that is, that's that's basically nothing. So Absolutely. there's a long road to go, but I know um, Vim's uh, uh, initial goal, he, he wants it to be about 1% to 2% in the next couple of years. That's very lofty in my opinion, but I'm I'm pleased that they're being that aggressive and really pushing to try to get the representation to that point. And then hopefully eventually it gets to the standard representation of the population. So it's about between 20, 25% of people identify as having a disability. Well, maybe one day we can get there if we continue to be aggressive in those goals, in those uh, yeah. uh, those benchmarks that we try to reach. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really incredible that, you know, we're talking about um, moving up, right? Moving forward and, and being able to not just talk about people with disabilities uh, having meaningful employment, but say, okay, and we need to make sure that you stay in the system. It's not just 
Uh, you come, you try your your hand at working, and then see you later, right? Like we want to make sure that this is making a long term impact and difference. Alex, awesome feature, and looking forward to it tonight at eight PM Eastern time on AMI TV. And we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks again for having me on. Alex Smythe is our bureau reporter in Toronto. Coming up in the next hour, folks, Roy Halladay Field became Toronto's first fully accessible baseball diamond last month. We'll learn more shortly into what made this special field. The the, par, the uh, parliamentary secretary for anti-racism initiatives issued a statement on the recent release of the 2021 uh, stats, and uh, we'll be talking about that with Danielle McLaughlin uh, in the next hour. We'll discuss those findings for sure. Up next, committee reporter Kim Hovey, uh, she highlights for us the Moose Hide Gathering in Dawson City Yukon. Stay tuned after the break. First hour of the week, gone. We did it. We dealt with it. It's away there, folks. We'll have another hour, <laughs> first hour of the week. <clears throat> uh, it's scheduled for next week. So we'll take care of that. Now we're into hour two of the program. And on Mondays and Tuesdays, generally, we get a chance to visit with our community reporters. Ramya and I are about to do that right now as we welcome in to start our uh, Reporters Week uh, with Kim Hovey of, uh, from Dawson City in the Yukon. Kim, welcome back. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that um, the first topic we're going to talk about kind of had me wondering. You've got a, a, a bit of a medical trip scheduled en route to Vancouver to see the double vision doctor. I was gonna say, what, At first, I, I read it, and I thought, what, what? And all I kept thinking about is the song Double Vision, and it threw me right <laughs> off there for a moment. So uh, what's going on, and when is this journey? And you're not going to sing the whole way. <laughs> Definitely not. And I am en route right now as we speak. So part of living in Dawson, the wonderful place that it is, is we have to drive uh, about five hours to Whitehorse. And then I have to fly from Whitehorse to Vancouver for this two-hour appointment. How long and is then that I fly flight? back to it is uh it's about two hours between two and three depending on wind and and such um so the flight itself is actually pretty quick wow i always like and then giving people an idea because we know canada we know it as citizens here how big the country is and when we talk about the area and talk about how come you know we, we make a big deal of you guys are are up there uh and things aren't so easy like you know to to get things up there or you know as we talked about with the internet crisis and situation before things mm-hmm. start so easy when you're talking about the vast distance that this huge country has well, and Kelly, that's part of what I want to explain and share with people of, you know, from down south, <laughs> is that um, this appointment for anybody else down south, you know, it would be 15 minutes drive to Vancouver, into Vancouver to see them, whereas I, it's a three-day trip for me to go for uh, just a small doctor's eye appointment, you know. 
So it it is a, a big deal, and I know we don't have the population up here to support professionals, but it is so needed. And when we do have the technology and the ability, it is very much um, appreciated and used. Wow. It, it, and you stop and say, because a lot of people would say, well, what, can't someone, a specialist, go up there, even if it was, you know, a couple of times a year and see a bunch of people? And again, we're talking about timing and how do you want to feel being that person who, you know, needs that treatment, needs someone to look at you and being told, yeah, well, they'll come back around like the circuit judge, the old circuit judge terms, but, you know, in about a month and a half. Like, it, you want to wait? No. <laughs> Well, and that is very true, Kelly, and that is the way it is up here, and you just appreciate that for what it is when you are up here because you understand that's that's the way the cookie crumbles. Now, mind you, I do feel that we do get a little bit of priority uh, for appointments. I may be totally wrong, but um, I feel that when they send a Yukoner down south, they kind of bump in uh, a little bit quicker because I think also they see that if they're shipping them all the way from Yukon, there must be a reason and a need. And so they're more, um, they're more hospitable and, and take us in better. I feel Um, like I said, it might be just my perception, but um, they they handle the appointment in a different way too, because a lot of time people are told, well, you go away and go get a coffee, come on back or tomorrow. We'll, you know, we'll call you and make up another appointment for you to come in. When we've had you talk a little bit about the medical experiences, it seems to be that they may roll more into that knowing you're taking this three day journey down here. Let's get everything done. That's possible. They do. And thank goodness for that. They try to cram in as much as they can. And I, and we always tell them at the beginning of the appointment what our plan is right. and how the day looks anyways. Um, so they have, they know <laughs> that we've got a flight to catch in a couple of hours, so we don't have a lot of time to just chit chat. So, Well, good luck with it. Well, thank you. I'm hoping that it will be good luck and good results. And hopefully, uh, my true hope is that it'll be life-changing for me because this double vision is just the pit. And if I can get that resolved or eased in any way, then it's worth all the tea in China. So, So, uh, Kim, we have one more thing we want to chat about, which you got to check out. It's the Moose Hide Gathering. Tell us how that went. Yes. So, Rumea, it was a beautiful weekend for it last weekend, um, had perfect weather. And this is a really big, uh, a big event in our community and in the Yukon, because a lot of the First Nation um, communities have this type of celebration. Um, they, gen- they call it potlatches. And they share and learn and do all kinds of um, honoring and revitalizing heritage to keep and preserve their culture. And it's just so beautiful that they allow us to come in and see witness that firsthand. And they bring us in like they've got all kinds of workshops, which 
Um, you can do um, drum making. You can do fish skin tanning, uh, caribou hide tufting, um, hide stretching, medicine bag sewing. There's just so many beautiful things that they want to share and, and teach others. And so this is a very, very big deal in the community. And uh, unfortunately, in 2020, it was canceled because of COVID. So the one previous, 2018, it was kind of a, a smaller version as well because COVID had started. Um, but um, this this year turned out to be just beautiful and the workshops and the performers they have so they have about um i would say about 15 groups Mm. of native and local performers that um share sing their songs and do their dances and there was also ASL interpretation, which I think this is the first time for them doing that this year. Wow. And that made a big difference for who can come and enjoy. Um, and they were also very uh, hospitable and accommodating to people, elders and people with disabilities. Me going with uh, vision, they had me right up at the front um, so I got to truly appreciate um, what they had to show and share. And their feast was just glorious. And it's we're so lucky to be able to share land with them because land has so much beautiful, like the berries. And, and we learned about the mushrooms and the spruce tips and what they do with that for tea and is just so holistic and welcomes everybody and anybody. And I think that's incredible. Well, the attitude, it really shows um, how beautiful and embracing the community is, right? As you mentioned, uh, the ASL and as they continue to improve with the the access features, but also just the way they welcome um, all kinds of people and try to be inclusive. And, and first of all, the teaching itself wanting to do that is this notion of an, a more inclusive feature, uh, future anyway. Um, but as you're saying with your own experience as a person with a disability and, and how people with disabilities and um, the elderly communities were all embraced is so nice to hear about. Is there anything you want to say on how long it goes? How many days and how often? Okay, so it runs for four days, and it's every other summer. And just to let you know what started it was um, when the gold miners came in and pushed them off the land, they went up land a little bit, a couple of kilometers, and had their own homestead uh, called Moose Hide. And they... So, and it's actually... You can walk. It's four kilometers up through the bush. They have a trail through the bush or it's by boat. So there's no road indirectly. So it is off the beaten path and protected. And They have a school, an old school, and they have a church and all of the residents, people that it is a seasonal, more of a seasonal um, 
place. It's not, I don't think too many people live there year round. Don't quote me on that because I'm not sure. But I do know it's more of a summer place uh, for them to go and and share their traditions and their culture. Um, and it's, yes, it's four days every other summer and where they are relearning and sharing their their traditions, mm-hmm. which were given to Alaska, believe it or not. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah. it's so close to Dawson City, which means a lot of people... Uh, in your neck of the woods are showing up. Yes. Okay. And that's another thing that makes um, makes it so beautiful is because they are welcoming to anybody and everybody that's interested in learning. Um, very welcoming, yes. That's beautiful. Wow. Kim, as usual, thank you. Good luck with the doctor and uh, safe travels. Well, thank you very much, and you guys have a great day. Kim Hovey, our community reporter, uh, talking to us about uh, a few things today, and you can check those things out on our blog at ami.ca slash kellyco as we visit with our community reporters on Mondays and Tuesdays. Kim Hovey will be back with us next month. Coming up in just a moment, folks, Roy Halliday Field became Toronto's first fully accessible baseball diamond last month. We learn more about what went into making this special field with Jay's Care Executive Director Robert Witchell next on Kelly and Company. Welcome back to Kelly Ed Company, coast to coast, wherever you're listening in, we appreciate it. Around the world, checking in with us, or maybe on TuneIn Radio, OO Tunes, always wonderful to have you on board. And always remember to check out the Kelly and Company podcast whenever you get a chance. Ramya Booth and Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of the program. Um, Do you ever try a beatball? Or when you play soccer, you guys, there's not a, a, a beeper in no, the ball. No, it's a rattle. A rattle? Yep. Ah. But I did not try beatball. Me neither. Every time I've had the opportunity, uh, back going a few years ago when the uh, Blind Jays were doing stuff, I wanted to try to get involved. I wanted to try to go out to a couple of practices, and I had shoots to do for TV stuff. And it always seemed to be when I didn't, and they were scheduled to do it, we had rain. So I couldn't get a chance to try it out. I'm kind of wondering... When you talk accessible um, baseball diamonds and stuff like that, how great it would be to get out there and be able to, to do a, oh, yeah. a, a beatball game. Roy Halliday Field became Toronto's first fully accessible baseball diamond last month. Joining us to talk a little bit about what went into making this special field is Jay's Care Executive Director, Robert Witchell. Uh, Robert, thanks a lot for joining us. Welcome to Kelly and Company. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Can you start by telling us a little bit about the Jay's Care Foundation and what you do? Absolutely. Um, Jay's Care Foundation, as you might guess, is the charitable arm of the Toronto Blue Jays. And 
We have uh, the great fortune of being uh, a member of Major League Baseball, the only Canadian team. Um, so we, we do really represent a country which is quite different than uh, many of our counterparts. And so uh, every year, uh, Jay's Care um, invests uh, millions of dollars across the country uh, in programs for kids uh, who don't have the same opportunities as um, most. And uh, our vision is really a level playing field uh, for all kids to use uh, a baseball analogy. So uh, we want <laughs> to uh, see all kids have um, an equal chance, um, not just uh, playing the game of baseball, but also um, having different learning opportunities as well. So we reach uh, this year, uh, we're hoping and expecting to reach over 45,000 kids in our programs. And the way we do that is uh, through running programs ourselves, but we also partner uh, with schools. We partner with uh, a number of large organizations, large and small organizations across the country. And um, um, we help them with training, with some funding in some cases, with uh, equipment in other cases. And uh, we, we help uh, kids achieve their dreams and realize their true potential through uh, the game of baseball. Wow. I, I mean, it seems like you're really on the right path and moving forward in all these different ways to have the collaborations, make the connections, um, work directly with the people involved uh, who could make that difference and make things more accessible. So where did the idea specifically for the Roy Holiday Field come from? Uh, well, I think you described it really nicely there. Um, we've we've been working uh, for years in in a number of different fields. So the 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 children that we work with and the youth we work with um, are are basically in um, communities that are under resourced uh, or kids who just don't have the same opportunities. So we've worked uh, for many, many years, over 30 years with Toronto Community Housing, for example, and we run uh, summer programming for um, more than a thousand kids uh, over the summer. It's a free day camp. And um, uh, so we've worked with that group uh, for many, many decades. And um, we've also worked uh, more recently uh, with kids who are living with disabilities. And um, when we looked at uh, the statistics surrounding opportunities for kids living with disabilities to be involved with sports, uh, for kids living with disabilities uh, to be involved in team sports, uh, those numbers are uh, shockingly low and um, we wanted to do something about it. So we partnered for uh, a number of years with an organization called Challenger Baseball, which is uh, a program where baseball is adapted to the kids who are playing it, not the other way around. And uh, we have uh, kids living with physical and cognitive disabilities in that program. And so um, uh, a number of years ago, about five or six years ago, we actually took over running that program. And so we've gone from hundreds of kids in that program uh, over the last five years to over 8,000 kids in that program. And um, it's one thing to provide that program um, for kids, but it's quite another thing to provide a safe space for kids to play. Yeah. And so uh, for many, many years, uh, through our Field of Dreams program, we've been granting funds to organizations all across the country 
uh, to create accessible uh, fields for kids. And so that means vulcanized rubber um, in, in the ideal state and uh, uh, dugouts that are wider uh, so kids using mobility devices can use them instead of having a bench that runs from one end to the other and kids who use mobility devices are on the outside. Uh, we have benches that are broken up, so uh, kids aren't always on the outside if they're using a mobility device, and so on and so forth. And so um, we approached the city and said, hey, we want to make um, uh, an investment in an accessible field. We've done this in Ottawa. We've done it in Antigonish. Uh, we've done it in Victoria. Uh, but there's a big lack lacking of, of accessible space for kids to play baseball in Toronto and would you like to do this and um, uh, together we found a, a great location and um, the rest is history. Absolutely fantastic. Robert it, it means so much to people and growing up and if you haven't had that chance and not I know there's a lot of focus put on people who are striving to to be involved with the Paralympics and different things like that there's a huge sector of people left off who would like to like any other schoolmate any other friend of theirs just get in some kind of time playing baseball maybe some competitive stuff you know maybe just to kick a kick a ball around and have a safe space as you're talking about and one of the key things that we've always struggled with as disabled people, I can speak to this for sure, is finding just enough organizations, people who want to partner to make this happen. So who all partnered to make this field come to life? It's, um, I, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's refreshing to speak with people uh, who have so much um, background and information and knowledge on this subject. Um, uh, we, uh, we partnered with the City of Toronto uh, to get this done. We committed the funds, and then we, you know, did what we do, what we do, and and raised uh, funds um, with a number of different partners to help us uh, get over the the finish line. Um, but it was really working with the City of Toronto to identify a site and uh, to. Um, work on the design together, we were able to bring something to the table based on our knowledge and experience of some of the, the fields that we had helped build in Ottawa, for example, um, uh, which I think was our first. And um, uh, just through many, many meetings with the city who are very open to discussing design and uh, location, uh, that's, that's how we... Um, brought this to life and and with the city we we determined that uh, a great first location in Toronto would be right by Variety Village uh, mm -hmm. where the children Variety Children's Charity is and so um, we identified Highview Park which is maybe five minutes away from Variety. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, I totally agree with that choice of location and you know very exciting is talking about what makes this field accessible. So can you break that down for us? Yeah, I mean, um, the fun uh, or exciting bit was that the, uh, the field that they um, identified, it was it was just a grass field, um, not getting a ton of usage, uh, other than a general park, uh, and people walking through it. Um, there's a large baseball diamond next to it, um, uh, where older kids play. And uh, there's also a, um, a playground next to it. And uh, so the city, uh, when we started talking about this, said, hey, we should make that playground totally accessible as well. So 
I think altogether the 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 entire project came to just under two million dollars, and Jay's Care put in uh, one million of that. And so the field itself is vulcanized rubber, um, as I mentioned, widened dugouts so everyone can can fit in and um, enjoy being part of the team, and um, all sorts of different uh, safety features uh, with a fence around the outfield and like the, the fence is covered. Um, and it's an intimate space. Uh, it's not a huge field, but it's an intimate space. So kids can actually, you know, swing for the fences. And uh, for kids who um, don't like wide open spaces, it's, it's, it's intimate and uh, they feel comfortable um, in that space. And the vulcanized rubber means that uh, kids who have balance issues or kids who are using mobility devices can run throughout the entire diamond um, and, uh, 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 you know, feel safe uh, and, and not have to worry about an uneven surface. Wow. I know when I saw the, the Ottawa field, when it opened our TV side here at AMI, did a wonderful feature on it. And, and for so many people, I'm sure, because I know how I felt, it was, wow, what a place, mm-hmm. what an empowering um, place to be able to go and just have fun and play your, your sport, your game, and, and just forget. Have fun because this is your place to play. This is going to make sure that you get that same enjoyment uh, millions of kids around the world are able to do. So with it being almost a month since the field's been open, what's the feedback? What exciting things have you heard, Robert? Well, uh, I'll first mention I was at the opening of the uh, Miracle Field in uh, in Ottawa, wow. and uh, one of the fathers of uh, the athletes who were who was there to help us open the field uh, came up to me and uh, he said, "You know, uh, of all my kids, uh, my son who uses a wheelchair." Uh, loves baseball the most. He knows the most about baseball, and yet he has not had the opportunity to play. Mm. And uh, he was in tears when he was telling me the story. And he said, "My, it was so wonderful to see him. Uh, you know, for the opening, we we got the kids uh, Blue Jays jerseys, and he put on a jersey, and he was finally part of a team instead of watching his siblings uh, play um, from the sidelines. And so." Uh, that's really what we're going for. And what we've noticed with this program is that, um, uh, you know, uh, kids uh, with uh, disabilities are often left on the sidelines. Uh, they often don't have a huge network of friends um, or if, if they have friends at all. And so, um, uh, and, and this is you know, from the Globe and Mail, you can read uh, research that's come out. And so what we're finding is that this becomes a, a network for families. It becomes a network um, uh, not only for the, the kids, but the adults and kids can have uh, great relationships, but they also learn um, some of those life lessons that you learn uh, from from playing on a team. And uh, we always say baseball is a great, great um uh, game, maybe the best game to learn resiliency from, because yes. if, if you know anything about baseball, if you miss over 70% uh, of the time when you're at, at bat and you uh, play 10 years in the major leagues, um, 
you 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 have a good chance of getting in the hall of fame because you've batted 300 that's right and so um it's a game that teaches you how to you know knock off adversity uh dust yourself off and get back up and and play the game and so um uh that's a, a very long-winded way before answering your question of saying these are the types of stories we get. And so um, even before we did the official opening, uh, we heard that the kids were loving that field and loving the opportunity to play on a team. And um, uh, just as you said, uh, to have a, a grand old time uh, playing a game uh, that they they watch or their siblings play and um, doing it in a safe space. So um, the, the feedback's been great. Uh, we we literally, uh, I was last week at, at Variety, they they built like a practice, a smaller diamond uh, right on site. Oh, nice. And nice. so they're doing training there and then they can go <laughs> to the bigger field uh, for their game. So um, it's, it's, it's a great partnership with Variety and um, we're thrilled that they love baseball and that the kid, more and more kids are getting the opportunity just to be on a team. Well, I'm going to tell you, the field's named after a great Blue Jay who would absolutely be delighted if he was here today to be there at that opening and to see the effects. I know exactly what you mean because my parents, and I'm sure Ramya feels the same, mm-hmm. if there was a moment we had a chance to do something like that, my mother and father would have been the first people you know, talking to you and crying. And so bawling. for the folks, yeah. wow. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Robert, for A, making time, B, all of you at Jay's Care making and the City of Toronto making this field and so many others like it possible. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, thank you for your good work. And uh, hopefully we can come on and talk about another field uh, really soon. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll be looking for it. We even have a list of places because we have enough people <laughs> around that will tell you, we'd like a field like that here. Take care, sir. Honestly, uh, send those through. We're talking to the city. We, we were, we're really um, excited to work with the city. I think there was a lot of uh, excitement seeing that field open. And uh, we're, we're looking maybe on the west, uh, uh, west side of the city for, for a location. So any and all ideas are welcome. And they'll be very busy, those fields. That was Jay's Care Executive Director, Robert Witchell, joining us on the program, talking to us about Toronto's first fully accessible baseball diamond named after Toronto's great Roy Halliday, who would have absolutely been delighted to have been a part of that and would have been out there himself. Uh, coming up in just a couple of moments on the program, the Parliamentary Secretary for Anti-Racism Initiatives issued a statement on the recent release of 2021 hate crime statistics by Stats Canada. We discussed the findings with Danielle McLaughlin on Know Your Rights in two minutes. Canada, remember to check out Kelly and Company right from your TV, folks. Listen in on Bell Channel 49 and Bell Alliant Channel 66. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. I'm Kelly McDonald with Ramya Muthan. And we're getting a familiar voice back on the shows. <laughs> Joining us last week all through the show, co-hosting with me was Danielle McLaughlin. Well, it's time for Know Your Rights with her. Let's examine questions that can't be answered by a simple yes or no. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, when we talk about how freedoms collide on Know Your Rights. 
Well, technically, Danielle, we had two days together, and then one day when it was just you, and then the day after it was just me. So it has been a while. How are you? It, it's been a while. I, I'm uh, a little warm and sticky, but other than that, I'm happy to. You know, when I'm not here, I get kind of lonely. Yeah, I miss you guys. Yeah. yeah. There's <laughs> so many of us to talk to here on the show, and Danielle. You're it's always wonderful. Yeah, and you're always keeping us posted about different things going on. So last week, uh, the Parliamentary Secretary for Anti-Racism Initiatives issued a statement on the recent release of the 2021 hate crime statistics by Stats Canada. So let's kind of dissect this um, report and the findings and, and everything that we should be cognizant of. What is a hate crime? Maybe we should start there. Let's start there. Um, a hate crime is something that is already a crime like uh, vandalism or assault or something like that that is either motivated by or exacerbated by hatred so for example if uh, somebody hits you because they don't like you uh, that's a crime Um, if they hit you because of your race or your religion that could constitute a hate crime and people have said well how do you know why somebody hits you isn't right. it enough that you know they've they've caused you the you know the pain and suffering that they've caused you by by you know with a crime all by itself and besides you'll be you know the person who commits that crime will be penalized other people have said when a crime like that is committed um out of uh you know a, a strong dislike or hatred for an identifiable minority then the rest of the people belonging to that minority live in fear they they're afraid that you know they could be next if if somebody hits you because you're their next door neighbor and you stole the pumpkins out of their pumpkin patch um i'm not afraid because i don't live near you and i'm not going to steal your pumpkins anyway uh if that person goes after you because you and i share a a common disability for example and that person has stated broadly that they dislike people with this disability I'm going to be more afraid because I know that I could be targeted as well. Now, some people say, you know, it doesn't matter why. Well, it's interesting. The Federal Anti-Racism Secretariat, and that's a whole lot of words, uh, leads a, as the, this is a quote, leads a whole of government approach to working with federal organizations other orders of government and civil society to identify systemic racial barriers and gaps, develop new initiatives, and consider the impacts of new and existing policies, services, and programs on racialized Indigenous and religious minority communities. And they believe that the work builds towards longer-term federal actions against racism and discrimination in Canada. Um, the, The jury's still out, does it? doesn't it? We don't actually know the answer to that. They've been around uh, for a while. And um, since 1962, Stats Canada has collected information on uh, all criminal incidents reported by the Canadian police services. And then more recently, they've started sort of looking at victimization specifically based on certain um, uh issues, you know, certain target zones. So here's um, what Stats Canada has released recently. They say the number of police reported hate crimes increased 27% to 3,360 incidents in 2021 compared with 2019. 
hate crimes have increased 72% over the last two years. That's a whole lot. Wow. Um, More hate crimes targeting religion, up 67%, including Jewish, Muslim, and Catholic. And sexual orientation, up 64%, accounted for most of the national change, along with more incidents targeting race or ethnicity. That's up 6%. Now, we know that people who live with disabilities are frequently targeted um, for criminal activity. The question is, you know, would that be considered hate crime uh, or is it just crime of advantage? For example, if you can't see mm-hmm. that somebody's stealing your purse, uh, they have the advantage of being able to steal your purse without your, your seeing it. Um, if you're in a wheelchair, if you use a wheelchair and you can't run after somebody who's stolen your purse, there's another crime of, adva- you know, they're taking advantage of, of, of a disability. So does that qualify as a hate crime? Probably not. Uh, Yeah, yeah. It's interesting too, Danielle, because looking at the numbers that you just mentioned, you start thinking, trying to figure out why. Is it anger, frustration from the pandemic? We had a lot of people when the pandemic started targeting Asian people because of the concerns of this is coming from China, whatever, and they group everyone together or, Mm -hmm. or regardless, target somebody in blame. There are a lot of time, and I've always tried to understand when we start with our ridiculous racial comments, our insults, and often there seems to be a frustration or some kind of perceived blame we have. We, you know, my family used to always say, well, we don't like anything we don't understand, and that includes people. If we don't That's understand right. them, we're going we're gonna to be, be hard and rude and ignorant about them because we are literally ignorant of their lifestyle. We don't understand, so it's easier to, to find fault or complain. So I, I look at that, and I, I understand that also in the disabled community because I have run into situations where I, I feel like someone who doesn't even know me dislikes me. And again, as a black man, I can say, oh, well, maybe it's because I'm black. Well, sometimes you start doing process of elimination. Sometimes, oh, am I, am I because I'm a big guy? You know, uh, And you come down to the fact that, no, it's my blindness. They're hmm. awkward. They're uncomfortable. So there's, therefore, there's almost a anger based on a fear or a misunderstanding of me and and it's i find it very interesting and when you brought up um you know lgbtq when you Uh bring up other people and and religion you know can i sit here and say oh well maybe people are just mad because they're so frustrated with what how things are going they're blaming god or 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 allah or whoever yeah well you know i think what we've found is that um in in many circumstances, the, the people targeted are perceived as being the other. You know, you're different from me. And therefore, as you say, I don't understand that. And it can't be good because what I am is good. And what anybody else is that isn't like me can't possibly be good. And therefore, you know, somebody who would commit a crime anyway is going to say it was motivated by my my knowing that this is a bad person and how did i know this was a bad person i was going after well mm-hmm. they're different from me because they are they belong to another community based on that you're just different i don't understand yeah. you and i don't like feeling uncomfortable and and it well, becomes that yeah. person's fault well, you know, it's a little like chickens. You know, chickens will peck the uh, the chicken that has a, a feather yes. sticking up. Right. That feather sticking up says, you know, there's something wrong with this chicken and we better get rid of it. And, you know, is there a Darwinian benefit 
for chickens. I'm not talking about people here by any stretch of the imagination. But you know, if there's if there's a, a weak member of a you know of an of an animal group, uh, you know, does it benefit the animal group to to lose the the weaker member so that they can all survive more strongly? Perhaps it sure doesn't benefit humankind, and and you know that is one of the differences is that you know we can understand. We can perceive things mm-hmm. that that are are not that simplistic, but you know, there there seems this this increase in hate crimes is interesting because in general crimes is the, you know as far as crime is concerned it, it's not going up that much. Violent crime has gone up uh, since since COVID, and we're not entirely sure the reason for the increase in hate crime. But some people have said, well, you know the um, the internet's really part of the problem, uh, and when we talk about a hate crime through the internet, we're usually talking about threatening behavior. So, you know, to, to threaten someone is a crime. You know, if I say, I'm, you know, I'm I'm coming after you. It's Monday. It's my day to go and beat people up. Um, that that's that's a crime. Um, if I say, you know, I I don't like the group you belong to. I'm, you know, we're we're going to gather together and go after you. That even if we don't in fact, do that, threatening to do it is itself a crime. Perceived anonymity, let's try that again, perceived anonymity of online behavior uh, has been touted as being part of the issue. So if if you feel nobody's going to know who you are, you may feel that you, you're free to threaten anybody you want. And, and That's a big inter- one online. It's a big one online and also access to internet. You know, more and more people have the ability to get online and, and do whatever they want, not realizing that's um, th- that they may be traced. And in right. fact, there is better enforcement and tracing of threats now. Uh, police forces are, are, you know, more alert to the dangers of threatening behavior. I, you know, you may have seen that, the um, the man who threatened Amanda Todd, um, at, who eventually committed suicide because of his acts, or or mm-hmm. at least related to his acts, has been convicted of a criminal offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was anonymous for a really long time, but it was possible to trace down this guy, and um, you know, and have him convicted of an offense which uh, led to the death of a child. Um, you know, there's been a growth in white nationalism. We've seen to the south of us political and racial strife, polarization in numbers of different communities, uh, wars in in the world. You know, it's not like war ever goes away, but people now have m- much faster access to seeing what's going on in other countries um, and deciding who's to blame. War is complicated. Uh, you know, there there's very little where you can say um, one side has all the faults. Um, it it is very tempting to say that, um, but if you're if you have a level of sophistication, you can see there are usually problems on many sides. Not that we should say everybody is equal because they're not, and aggressors certainly should hold the blame for that kind of behavior. But we know that there there's complexity there. And for many people, complexity is very uncomfortable, as you said, uh, Kelly, you know, making people uncomfortable can sometimes be an unsafe thing to do. So, you know, if somebody sees you 
dressed in a way that they think, uh, you know, has meaning. Um, you know, you, you like to wear bright colors and everybody else likes to wear dark colors. You're going to stick out and somebody's going to say, you know, I don't, I don't like that guy who wears mm -hmm. all those bright colors. I think there's something wrong with him. I think we better make sure he doesn't, you know, feel comfortable coming out and making us feel uncomfortable. You know, so, so these are, are serious issues. Um, what can we do about it though? That, you know, I mean, if you talk about yeah. hate crime and you look at something like what happened in Rwanda, where people went on, on audio on, on radio and, and said, you know, you'd better kill your neighbor before he kills you. Um, and that led to the deaths of close to a million people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that is, that's more than a hate crime that, that is, you know, attempted genocide. You know, wh what can we do, you know, in, in order to let people know that just because someone doesn't look like you, doesn't worship the way you do, uh, doesn't even hold the same values that you hold, that doesn't make them dangerous or worthy of hatred. Because it's it, a, a big collision, I find, with um, freedom of expression, right, Danielle? Like the... Absolutely. Yeah, like the I can say whatever I want to say or do whatever I want to do because this is my opinion versus you saying and doing things that is, uh, first of all, a crime. Like you said, hate crime is on top of an existing, what is considered a crime already. Yeah. Um, and and then it's the the concept of like all these people, um, you know, continuing to hate on certain communities or certain types of people. Uh, and it, it like I, I think of it as... Um, bigger than just one person's freedom of expression because you're adding on it's piling up so that's why i'm i'm curious about the what can you do especially as a as a victim of hate crime if you consider yourself to be yeah well i think that if you're a victim of crime of any sort reporting it is is a good idea now whether something actually happens because you've reported it uh, I can't tell you that that will definitely happen, but it will create a paper trail. And so when you get these police reported hate crimes, it's because they've been reported to the police and it makes people alert to the fact that we have a problem. Um, you know, if, for example, people with disabilities are very reticent to report, you know, criminal acts against them, we don't have enough statistics to tell us, you know, how, what percentage of people living with disabilities are subject to criminal activity. I think it would be very helpful to know that. So, you know, reporting and, of course, education. Mm -hmm. We have to start really early. We have to start with children understanding that kids who are different from them, adults who are different from them, are not worthy of hatred. They're worthy mm -hmm. of exploration and understanding it's amazing how many people in our society have just oh well that person's just a jerk don't worry about them yeah yeah well i think that a show like this is a good place to start kelly and ramya we're going to start people thinking about it right mm -hmm. yeah and especially the the i think what the circumstances just going back to the beginning of your conversation what uh is a hate crime you know, how do you know, right? And how do you just go past the point of brushing it off because you know that this is a big deal? Danielle, thank you so much. This is really incredibly insightful. 
Thank you. And we'll talk next week. Yes, we will. Danielle McLaughlin joining us on Know Your Rights. And that's every Monday. Uh, today, we were discussing hate crimes. And we'll step aside for a couple of moments, folks. It is Kelly and Company, but we have come to the end of our day. Tell you a little bit about what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown and take a sneak peek at our show and discuss. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of the program, and we thank you for hanging out with us as usual at this point, because we always mention, take a look at the podcast if there's something you missed. Rum, do you have a segment you'd like to remind people to go back to? We've had some incredible conversations. I think I'll go back to a seat at the table. This is the feature on tonight's episode of AMI This Week. Alex Smythe joined us to give us a bit of a preview and context about this initiative, uh, which basically, you know, encourages people with disabilities into the workforce but from a top level perspective so talking to the ceos talking to the the management and the the higher ups of organizations and uh, participating companies to say you know we want people with disabilities up here not just on <laughs> not just at the entry level uh where you give them like a six week eight week program um where they get to experience work and then you're not sure where they end up or do they end up in the workforce we don't know Right. And and we know the stats, Kels. We know about how much um, how many people in our community are actually employed who do experience meaningful and long term employment. So these initiatives um, keep getting bigger, keep getting better and more specific on what's being targeted. So appreciated that context from Alex and check out the uh, AMI this week feature tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern on AMI TV. Absolutely wonderful. And of course, I loved our Jay's Care talk with Robert uh, talking about the new field in, in, in Toronto, but it uh, took a course and we talked a lot about other places and fields uh, that are being put out there that are specialized with the rubber, the wider um, uh, dugouts for accessibility. Incredible conversation. Check the Kelly and Company podcast out wherever you get your podcast, folks. Paul Daniel joins us. Paul's here to tell us a little bit about what's coming up today, tomorrow. Sorry, Paul. You guys aren't doing a second show today yet. Uh, doing a uh, sh- uh, Now with Dave Brown program beginning at 9 a.m. in the morning. Hello, sir. Hey, Kelly. Yeah, yeah we, can do, we can do it today, tomorrow, whenever. We do it in the future. You know, we're very good at, we're very good at time travel here Flexible. at Now. Flexible. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow with Dave Brown. Okay, last month, uh, on tomorrow's show, last month, the United Nations International Court of Justice made a ruling that clears the way for a complaint to be heard against the government of Myanmar and its treatment of the Rohingya Muslim minority. We'll speak to Fareed Khan of the group Canadians United Against Hope and discuss the implications of that decision. Our tech expert, Nelson Rego from Coolbank Tech, will tell us how to unsend text messages on iOS 16. How to unsend text messages. And this Tuesday, we'll have our new news quiz as Dave Brown joins in mortal battle with Karen McGee and Mark Phoenix. Tomorrow with Dave Brown. Is that the evening show? <laughs> it, could, it could be or the day after tomorrow with Dave Brown. Yeah. That's right, or the day, I, I, day before yesterday show. is his history show. We got the next with Dave Brown. I, I thought it was a bad idea, plotting way ahead for your programming. Yeah, well, and, and you could really come off with a whole bunch of spin-off programming for Dave. We'll keep Dave really, really busy. Thanks, pal. Absolutely.
Take care, Kelly. <laughs> Paul Daniel, one of the producers over there at Now with Dave Brown or, or Tomorrow with Dave Brown or The Day Before Yesterday with Dave Brown, whatever you want to call it, they're available as a podcast. If you can't catch the live show at 9 a.m. in the morning right here on AMI-audio. And, of course, you can also catch it on AMI-tv. Ramya, we're back at it tomorrow at 2 p.m. Lots of good stuff on the program. Uh, maybe even going to talk a little collections and hobbies as our friend Jeff Rainey joins us. Absolutely, Kelsey. We will do that tomorrow. Okay, folks, we'll start at 2 p.m. Eastern. Let's tell you a little bit more about the program. This is something to think about, folks. One-third of Ontarians haven't had an eye exam in over three years. And many think eyewear is not affordable. We learn more about spec savers tomorrow and what they're doing to combat this. Comedian reporter Julie Martin highlights on the program the small world farm in Pictou County, Nova Scotia. And also on the program, we speak with award-winning sketch comedian and popular TikToker Laura Ramoso on the show. This is all about her new live comedy special that gets underway Thursday. Our show starts tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern. Have a great night, folks. I'm waving at you. Well, we've had so many strange years go on, and as we like to point out, the juniors are are coming up. This is something we do in December, so it's kind of like, what? Why are we talking about this in the heat of summer? Well, most of you out there who, whether you're a marginal hockey fan or not, you know that this goes on at Christmas time, and it's a pretty big deal in Canada. We love it. I don't know how much of a big deal it'll be over the next little while as it starts. We know there's been a lot of issues going on with junior hockey in this country. So many discussions of late, people quitting their positions because of uh, the negative feel around junior hockey. If you're a fan, you're going to go out and enjoy it and watch the tournament, even with the dark cloud over it. And certainly a cloud that has to be dealt with. A lot of things we're not even going to discuss or argue that it's a fact, has to be cleaned up, has to be sorted out. But I hope that most of us who enjoy it, and I'm one of them, and it was already a struggle for me to think, oh, you'll enjoy it even though it's during the summer. I hope so. It's something I've always enjoyed at Christmas time. Am I going to be able to put the time that I can at Christmas time into watching it? Absolutely not. Um, so that in itself will feel funny. Watching hockey and trying to get my baseball in at the same time will be kind of odd. But if you are a marginal fan, but somebody who has to see a lot of it during Christmas when you're visiting people or it's the thing to put on because we're Canadians, do take a chance, check a little bit of it out, and at least support our Canadian players, root for your favorite team. Uh, Maybe you are a fan of another country because your family's from there. Do what you can to enjoy it and support this tremendous tournament. Um, It's just timed not well with it being in Canada and with the dark cloud over it. Um, and all the stuff that's going on daily that's taking away from these young people really excelling in their sport. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.